God will never fail. Amen. Well, good morning, Strong Tower. It's good to be with our family this morning. Uh, if you're new around here this morning, uh, we're glad you're our guests. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, glad you could be with us today. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 today. So if you want to grab your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen behind me, Exodus chapter 20, uh, looking at verses 8 through 11, 8 through 11. This chapter, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, is the Ten Commandments. So if you never knew where the Bible or where the Ten Commandments were in the Bible, this is one of the places, Exodus 20, and then you'll also find them again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So there's two different accounts of the Ten Commandments. This is the first one. Exodus 20, looking at verse 8 through 11, hear the reading of God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, work and rest, work and rest. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who's moved towards us and you do the greatest work of all. And so as we have been looking in this series at what it means for us to do work, for us to have a vocation in this world, we know that it comes from you. You are the God who does the greatest work. And God, we pray you'd work today in us. We pray you would transform our hearts to love you more, transform our hearts to love others more, transform us to rest in you fully. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In 1974, uh, nearly halfway through an, a grueling 84-day mission aboard the Skylab space station, Colonel William Pogg requested a day of rest for him and his crew who had been working tirelessly. They were exhausted. They were burnt out. This is what he said when he made his request. We have been overscheduled. We've been hustling the entire day. The work can be tiresome and tedious, though the view is spectacular. I mean, you could imagine they're in the Skylab space station. The view must have been spectacular. You're miles outside of Earth, looking on Earth in all God's beautiful creation, seeing things that very few of us, maybe none of us in the room, have ever seen. And listen... This is what he says, that the work is so hard, it's so exhausting, we, we just need a day of rest. Could you please give us a rest? And what do they say? What does NASA respond back? They say, no. You're there on a mission. You don't get a day of rest. Well, him and his crew decided that didn't matter. There in space, what are they going to do to us? They decided to go on strike in space. The first time it had ever happened to NASA, their whole crew goes on strike, and they decide, we're just not going to work. You can't make us work. We're in space. And so sure enough, they took a day of rest against orders, and NASA had no choice but to say, you're right. 
we can't do anything about it. And so by the time they got back, uh, NASA had decided they didn't want that to ever happen again. So they changed all their policies and processes to now every mission, they have a day of rest mixed into the work schedule. It turns out rest is not always welcomed and warmly welcomed, right? I mean, we live in a culture where Sabbath is, is a strange word. Sa- Sabbath is a word that, that people don't really understand. And, and Sabbath has almost always been subversive. It's always been countercultural. It's always been an, an otherworldly kind of thing. No, no matter what your culture has been for Israel since the day that it was given to now, Sabbath has been strange. And what's odd to me about that is, think about what Sabbath is. It's like God saying to you, I want you to eat a bunch of ice cream. Or I want you to just go enjoy yourself at the beach. Why is that so hard for us? Well, why is that met with so much resistance, so much anger, so much pushback? Why why would it be so hard for us to, to simply say, yeah, I want to receive that gift. Yeah, that sounds delightful. I mean, Sabbath is not God saying, I want you to do terrible things to ruin your life. It's God saying, I want to invite you into something that will bring you utter delight. And yet, we struggle with it. Why is that? Isn't that odd? That's what I want to look at today. We're continuing our series uh, through uh, what we've been calling Faith Goes to Work. And so for six weeks, we we started last week, so this is week two. For six weeks, we're looking at this integration with our work and our faith. And and often those two things are separate worlds. We we treat our faith as what we do on Sundays or maybe when we go to our small group or a Bible study. And then the rest of the week is just me by myself doing my life, going through the motions at work, pursuing my career, whatever it is. But they don't often interact very much. And so now what we want to look at is, actually, the Bible says a lot about our faith and our work. And so last week, we looked at how uh, our work has to fit into the greater work of God, that God is already working in the world. From the very first day of creation, God has been working. And so that work that he's doing, he's inviting us into that. And so no matter what your work is, whether you work uh, as a plumber or a professor or you're a teacher or you write books or, or whatever you do, your work, if it's good, godly work, it, it fits into the work that God is doing. But before we get too far into that, before we continue in the series and talk about how that works and, and what that looks like, we got to pause for a minute and talk about rest, because rest is unavoidable in the Bible. In fact, the very first chapter where God gives us our calling, what we are called to do as we work in this world, right after that, this idea of rest is introduced. You can't get out of the first chapter before you realize that God calls us to rest. And in our work-driven achievement culture, rest isn't always welcome. So how does our rest relate to our work? That's what I want to look at today in our time together. And so we're going to first look at the pattern, the pattern. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is the pattern. Look at me at verse 8 again in the commandments here. Look at what it says in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
on it you shall not do any work. Get this. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. I mean, he, he goes off. This command is the longest command in the Ten Commandments, which I've always thought fascinating. You think about that. Some of these commandments seem pretty important, right? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not lie. These are some pretty big ones, some basic ones. And then they only get like one little phrase. And then the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, gets a whole paragraph. What, why is that? I think it's because God wanted to make it crystal clear to us, this is all that I'm talking about so that you can't find some loophole to go work more than you should. Right? He gets real specific. He says, I want you to have a full day. And then he says, this is for you. This is for your, your kids. This is for the people who, who live on your property. This, this is the people who, who work for you. These are even the animals who live on your property. He says, I want everybody to rest. I want everybody to Sabbath. God knew that we would be looking for every loophole. And then here's the reasoning behind the Sabbath in verse 11. Look at what he says. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Here it is. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, he, he appeals back to the creation week. He goes all the way back to creation. And, and if you think about the creation week like this, this is God's work week, right? God, God has a six-day work week and then one day of rest, and so in that six days, he gets all his work done. He works to create everything that we've seen. And then on the seventh day, he rests. Now, why does God rest? Does he rest because he's tired? Not at all. God doesn't tire. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't run out of power. God doesn't rest because he needs to. God rests because he wants to establish something for us. Look, God is trying to establish in all his creation a pattern. And now Moses picks up on that when Moses is giving the Ten Commandments. He says, this is why God is giving you the Sabbath. It's because this is the pattern he established from the very beginning. Here's the pattern. Work and rest. Work and rest. Notice it's both. It's not all work and it's not all rest. It has to be both. Work and rest right? Sabbath, in other words, is rooted in God's own rhythm, in his own rhythm. In 1783, uh, in France, there was an effort to try to produce more, to try to increase the productivity of the nation, and to kind of de-Christianize the calendar. And so in France, they decided to, to experiment a little bit, to tinker with the calendar, and they went from a seven-day week to, get this, a 10-day week they changed the days. I didn't even know you could do that, but, but they experimented with that. They decided that we're going to have a 10-day week, and you're going to work for nine days and rest for one. They're thinking we could get more out of people if we can get them to work more, we can get them to work harder, and we can squeeze a little bit of more productivity out of people, but it backfired terribly. In fact, the, the uh, suicide rates skyrocketed in France. People were burning out. People were protesting. People were exhausted. Mental health, which they didn't even think about back then, probably was probably uh, terrible in the situation. They decided 
to tinker with the calendar and look, what they found was it was a disaster. What they found is literally we are designed as image bearers of God to reflect his rhythm. His rhythm is work and rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. There's something sacred about the seven-day cycle. There's something sacred about that. Now listen, this, this rhythm of, of work and rest is, is not legalism. It really is love. Think about this for a second. Moses goes all the way back to the garden to make his point about the Sabbath and why the Sabbath is so important. But think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve that we looked at last week as they're given their calling, right? They're, they're to go out, to multiply, to, to have dominion over the earth, to make the earth flourish and thrive. What happens right after that? Day seven, their first day of full existence on the earth, was a Sabbath. They couldn't even do any work before they had to rest. I mean, think about how strange that must have been. God tells you, I want you to go have dominion over the earth, but tomorrow we're going to rest. In other words, what God is saying to them is, the rest that I'm going to give to you is not something that you earn because of your achievement. The rest I'm giving to you is completely grace. It's just given, right? It's, it's not something that you earn. It's, it's, it's not a reward for the work that you've done. Rest is the rhythm of grace. It's first rest and then work, which I think is a beautiful picture that, that really Sabbath in a lot of ways is the first hint of the gospel in the Old Testament. Because God is saying to them, before they could even hear it, God is saying, everything I give to you is grace. It's grace. So let's get really practical for a second. What does a Sabbath actually look like? When and how do you keep the Sabbath? Uh, author Rich Velotas, who wrote a great book called uh, The Deeply Formed Life, says this in his book. He says, Sabbath keeping is a weekly 24-hour period of unhurried delight with no have-tos or ought-tos, get this, resulting in deep rest and renewal. He said a couple things there that's real important. He said, first of all, it's a 24-hour period of time. Right? This is what God says in, in Exodus. This is what you see throughout the whole Bible. It's this 24-hour period of time. Now, Christians have argued, and we're not going to get into that, about when is that 24 hours. You know, some people point back to the Jewish Sabbath and say it's on Saturday. Some people point to the New Testament practice of the Lord's Day and, and uh, celebrating on the resurrection of Jesus' day. But, but, but listen, we're not going to get into all that. I, I lean towards the, the Lord's Day being the, the day of Sabbath but what I think is more important than that, as a spiritual discipline, you need to have a Sabbath where you can actually rest, where you can actually have a day of what we're going to talk about that's this deep rest. And so for some people, that may not be Sunday because you come to church and you go right to work afterwards. Or for people in ministry, Sunday's a work day. And so Sunday is not really very restful. Right? So you got to think about this as a spiritual discipline. How does this work out in your particular situation? So for our family, Saturday night uh, is not the Sabbath. It, it's, it's actually Friday night to Saturday night. We, we have Sabbath that, that 24-hour period. Uh, but for other people who maybe ministry is not your, your vocation, your job, uh, I would recommend actually Saturday night to Sunday night being your Sabbath so that you can have Sunday morning worship as part of that worshipful experience of your Sabbath. 
that you let this be a time where you are resting in the Lord, you are worshiping Him, you are with Him. But whatever you need to figure out, like how can I find 24 hours in my life where I can have a real Sabbath? That's what you got to ask. And listen, a day off is not a Sabbath. Eugene Peterson said it this way. This is a little harsh, but he says, a day off is a bastard Sabbath. The illegitimate child of the seventh day and Western culture. What he means by that is Western culture, in our high productivity, what we do is we work, we work, we work, we work, then we go on vacation. And we just kind of veg out. You know, we're, we're going to drink a margarita and watch Netflix in our pajamas. And that is Sabbath. Now, that might be part of your Sabbath. I don't know. But, but what he's saying is that is not the definition of Sabbath. This day should be different than all the rest of your days. This day should be unique. It should be holy, as the scripture says. It should be set apart, uncommon. And here's a helpful grid that someone shared with me a while ago that I think uh, can be useful. This is the question you want to ask as you think about your Sabbath. You ready? Whatever is happening on your Sabbath, think about this. Is it restful? Is it worshipful? Is it delightful? Is it restful? Is it worshipful? Is it delightful? And if the answer to that question is no, then just wait. Just wait. There's, there's six other days. You can do whatever else needs to be done in those six other days. But what the word Sabbath literally means is to stop, to cease, to, to stop the working, right? And, and to pause for a moment to just say, I'm going to rest I'm going to worship, and I'm going to delight. And so that may look different for you, right? If, if your job is, is primarily very uh, you know, physically exhausting, and, and all throughout the week you're exhausting your body, then maybe your Sabbath is going to be less physical activity. Maybe you're going to rest physically, and you're going to do other things that, that can bring you renewal. And then for other people, you might have a job where uh, your job is emotionally and mentally exhausting, and you don't actually get up and move around very much. And so you need to get out and move. Like you need to go for a walk, or you need to go to a park, you need to go for a run or exercise or something. I don't know, but you need to do something that you can have renewal to your body. Do you hear that? Like this is going to be a little bit different depending on what your life looks like, but you need to run it through that grid. What does it look like for me? to truly have a time, a 24-hour time, where I'm resting, I'm worshiping, and I'm delighting. What does that look like? I'll tell you, it's more challenging than you could imagine. And so that's what I want to look at next, is the problems begin to arise in our hearts. And this is the second point, the problem. The problem. Now, we got to look back a little bit because uh, what's interesting is in Exodus 20, we get the command for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was being practiced already. In fact, you go to Exodus chapter 16 and uh, you see Israel's struggle with the Sabbath. Israel was told by God as, as they were brought out of their bondage in, in Egypt right, that they were told, you know, follow me into the promised land. And so they're, they're going towards the promised land, wandering through the wilderness after 400 years of bondage. They're trusting in God. And then, and then they get in the wilderness and realize there's no food. Well, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to survive? And so they start to panic and they wonder, maybe God set us up. 
you know, God brought us into the wilderness and we, we don't have any food. Maybe he wanted us to die out here. Right? Have you ever been in that place where, where you thought, man, God told me to, to go do this and I'm trying to be obedient and next thing I know my life falls apart and now I'm wondering if God tricked me. You ever been there before? Like That's the kind of wrestling that they're having. And so God tells them, no, 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 I didn't trick you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And what he says is this. He says, I'm going to provide bread from heaven. They called it manna, which the word manna literally means, what is it? What is it? We don't even know what this is. It's bread that just shows up on the ground every morning when we wake up. And God says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And I want you every morning to go out and collect enough bread just for that day. Don't get any more. Just get what's that day. If you get more, it's going to go bad. But he says, on the sixth day, I'm going to provide double the manna. And I want you to gather up enough bread on the sixth day so that you don't have to work on the seventh day. Because on the seventh day, I want you to rest and have a Sabbath that's holy to the Lord. Now, sounds beautiful. This is what happens. (laughs) Exodus 16, verse 27, it says, On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, (laughs) but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. In other words, they knew what God said. They knew that God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be there for you. You can trust me. You've seen me provide all these other six days. I'm going to give you double so you don't need it on the seventh day. And yet they weren't quite ready to trust him. They weren't quite ready to say, you know what, we completely trust that you'll provide, and so we are going to rest. But no, instead, they decided, you know what, let's go check. Let's go see if there's a little bit extra out there. Let's go see if we can collect some on the seventh day, because I don't think what we got on the sixth day was enough. They didn't trust him. Listen, that's what's at the core. Sabbath is an act of trust. It's an act of trust. Bernard Loggett uh, was an Olympic marathon legend. He was born in Kenya. He won over 13, 13 global medals. He holds all kinds of records. He's well known in the, the running community. Uh, but what really made him famous was not all of his achievements. It was actually his training regimen. And uh, basically what you find through his life is that the key to running is not running. In other words, what he would do that was unique is for 11 months he would train as hard as any of these other athletes. I mean, these are world-class Olympic athletes who are grinding through you know, their diet, through their exercise, they're putting in the miles, they're doing all these things. For 11 months, he would work as hard as anybody else, but that last month, he would completely stop. For five weeks, he would hang up his running shoes and he would put them in the closet and not touch them for five weeks. He would go out and, and coach his son's soccer team. He would pig out with whatever he wanted to eat. He would do whatever he wanted to do to rest and to enjoy, to delight. And people thought he was nuts. And people quickly found out this was his secret. He'd been doing it since 1999. And so one time people asked him, you know, why, why do you think that almost no one else does this? Why do you think that all these other elite runners don't use the same training program that you do? And this is what he said. He said, rest is a good thing. 
But I know from experience, it's the fear of what it'll be like the first day that you return. I also know from experience that it's good for me, and I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. See, he had to trust the pattern. He had to trust that this is the rhythm. It's work and rest, work and rest. It reminds me of the time that Jesus uh, was in the boat uh, with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Remember the famous story where they're out on the, on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus had just had an exhausting uh, time of ministry where he was out serving people and healing people and preaching the kingdom and all these things. And so they just want a time of rest. And uh, Jesus gets into the boat and immediately lays down and goes to sleep. He's tired. He, he's exhausted. And, and of course, as soon as he falls asleep, the disciples uh, realize that a storm is coming in. And as the storm rolls in, the, the waves are starting to get choppy. The wind is blowing. The rain is coming down. And chaos is ensuing. The disciples are running around trying to figure out what's going to happen. How are we going to survive? There's water getting into the boat. And the whole time, Jesus is sleeping. And so now the disciples, they, they nudge Jesus. Hey, wake up. We're sinking. There's work to do. Aren't you, aren't you going to do something about this? You're, you're the one who does all these miracles. Make the storm go away or at least help us. Now, is there work to do? Yeah, Jesus could have grabbed a bucket. He could have started to bail the water out. Jesus could have calmed the storm. Jesus could have done a lot of things. Jesus could have never gotten the boat. Jesus could have kept going as, uh, you know, out there in the, in the Sea of Galilee area and just started serving more people and preaching and healing more people. There was plenty of work to do. But Jesus instead went to sleep. And I, I try to say this at least once a year for our church. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. Just take a nap. Jesus, the Son of God, the all-powerful one, took a nap in the middle of the storm. How is he able to do that? Because he trusted his Father. He trusted his Father. Listen, Sabbath is a reminder that our work will always be incomplete. There will always be more work to do. Jesus himself, while he was on earth for 33 years, left work undone. There was more people to teach. There were more people to heal. There were more people to, to love. There, there were more things that Jesus could have done. Sabbath, resting, is always this reminder that, that we and our work are, are not the main event. Right? We, many of us, we tell ourselves this lie that, uh, let, let me just finish one more thing and then I'll rest. Right? You ever tell yourself that? You, you say, I'm just going to finish this one thing, and then I'm going to rest, then I'm going to take a break, and then you finish that one thing, and then there's another thing. And usually it's worse than the last thing you just did. Like there, There's another thing, and then you finish that thing, and then there's another thing, and then there's another thing. And, and what you realize is it never stops. Right? There's always dishes in the sink. There's always laundry to do. There's always somebody to call back. There's always an email to send. There's always someone to check on. There's always more projects at work. There's always someone who needs you. There's always more to do. And if you got kids, that's where you say amen. amen. I know you're Presbyterian, but <laughs> there's always more to do. But listen, Sabbath. Sabbath is, is this taste of death, not, not in a morbid sense, but in a freeing sense. 
in a freeing sense, where, where you say, you know what, there's coming a day in my life where, where my to-do list will be done. And there's going to be a lot of things that are undone. Undone. Because we're going to have no choice but to stop. See, the truth is we struggle to rest because we struggle to trust. If we're honest, most of us really believe that God needs us. He needs all the help he can get. And so I need to make sure I do everything I'm supposed to do. He needs me to step in and fix those problems at work and stay longer than I really have to be there. He needs me to overstudy for those classes because I'm not sure if I'm going to get the grade that I need. He needs me to run myself exhausted so that my kids can have all the experiences that I think they should have. He needs me to take care of that person who's struggling because if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Right? Do you hear the pattern in that? The pattern is God is needy and somehow I provide something he lacks. And God is saying the whole time, you, you just stop. Just, just stop for a little bit. You're moving around too much. Just stop. Sit down. Rest. Take a nap. Because I can handle this. Right? He, he's saying in the Sabbath, this is my gift to you. I, I'm going to continue to run the world. You just rest. Rest. And when we begin to trust God with this pattern of work and rest, we finally see there's actually a person who's offering that to us. And this is the last point, the person. In Luke 11, uh, one of my favorite stories, Jesus is coming over to Martha's house. And again, Jesus is exhausted. I don't know if you know this, but we believe Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's fully human. He got tired. He had a body like us that got tired. And so Jesus is working his butt off. He's tired. He's exhausted. He comes over to Martha's house thinking, I need a place to rest just to lay my head. And so Martha is hosting Jesus at her house. And if you can imagine for a moment what it must be like to feel the pressure that Jesus, the one who they're saying is the Messiah, comes to your house. Martha's panicking. Martha's, Martha's thinking, how am I going to do enough for the Messiah? Well, I, I got to clean the house. I got to cook. I got to do whatever I got to do. I got to be a good host. I got to be hospitable. And so Martha's running around frantically trying to make everything perfect for the Messiah. And her sister, as she's running through the kitchen going nuts, she looks over and sees her kitchen or her sister outside the kitchen just sitting at Jesus' feet, just relaxing, listening to Jesus talk, soaking in this moment of prayer and contemplation. And Martha is furious. She's furious because she's the one working and, and Mary's sitting. She's doing nothing. Martha can't take it anymore. She has this angry outburst. She says to Jesus, uh, you know, she, she's going to go protest to him. And so this is what she says. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, she, she's getting on Jesus. Don't you care about what's happening? I'm over here trying to make a great event for you, a great experience for you, and she's doing nothing. I mean, Martha's thinking, surely Jesus is going to care, and not only he's going to care, he's going to do something about it. Now, I've always sympathized with Martha here because, listen, Martha's not doing anything terrible. She's not breaking the law. She's not harming people. Martha's doing good work. She's serving dinner 
to God. Just think about that for a moment. This is probably the best thing you've ever done in your life. And Martha's trying to, to make it right. And this is what Jesus says as he sees something else in her struggle. And he loves her enough to tell her. He responds, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He says her name twice, not, not to rebuke her, but in a compassionate, tender tone. He, he's saying to her, I, I see what you're struggling with. I see where you are and why this is so hard for you. He knows her heart to serve and, and to achieve and to do well has eaten her up with anxiety. And so this is what he says. He says, he goes on to say this, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, you've been running around doing, 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 trying to make sure everything is right. You've been going, 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 and you need to slow down and realize that all of those things are good things, but there's only one necessary thing. It's me. He's saying, I am the good portion. Jesus himself is the only one that is necessary. And so all of these things, though they may be good, if you trade what's good for what's necessary, you still miss it. You miss it, Martha. And so listen, I love you enough to tell you, don't miss the one thing that's necessary. The one thing is him. To rest in him. To take your worries, your anxieties, your frantic actions and to say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to worship the one true God. See, Sabbath is more than a pattern. It's a person. It's about creating rest, creating space for rest in the presence of Jesus. This presence of God is the gift of the gospel, right? Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Rest for your souls. Rest deeper than the surface. Rest deeper than the body. Rest deeper than the circumstances. Rest deep down to the bones of your being. This kind of rest is rooted in, 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 in what he has done, not what we have done. Jesus rested in the greatest way imaginable. He rested in a tomb for three days. His body lay there after he was crucified for his sins, or for our sins. His body lay there as he conquered death itself. As he rested, the world was awaiting redemption, renewal, and restoration. And the gospel promises this. Trust in Jesus, and you can trade your exhaustion for his eternal rest. Listen, we get more than a pattern to follow. We get this person who's come for us, who's died for us, we get the person of Jesus. He himself says, come to me. Come to me. Now, do you need that, that renewed rhythm of being in his presence? As we close today, that, that's what I want to invite you to. What Jesus is saying is, you can come to me, and I am the one thing necessary. Those things are good. There's plenty of work to do. And God wants to use your gifts in the work that he's called you to. He wants to use you at your job. He wants to use you in the church. He wants to use you in the community to make a difference. But listen, none of those things are necessary. What's necessary is him. It's him. And so he's inviting you to this practice called Sabbath to say, will you make the space to be with me? Now listen, I want to invite all of us into that, but if you start this week and, and, and you say, you know what, I'm going to have a Sabbath, I want to let you know a little bit of secrets here. It's going to be difficult. 
The practice of Sabbath is exactly what it sounds like. It's a practice. It means you're not going to be good at it. And not every Sabbath is going to be great. Some of them are going to be amazing. Some of them are going to be a terrible disaster. In fact, uh, yesterday, our Sabbath, at the end, as we were having ice cream from McDonald's, our daughter says, best Sabbath ever. I'm laughing in my head because I'm thinking about two months ago, she had a, a bad day on a Saturday, and she said, worst Sabbath ever. So in two months, we've perfected it, but... But that's how it is. It's just like the rest of your life. There's going to be days where it goes well and it's restful. There's going to be days that it's exhausting and worse than the rest of your week. But what I want you to listen to is here. What God is inviting you into is not a life of perfect rest. What he's, what he's uh, inviting you into is a life where you get to be with him. What Jesus is saying to Martha is the, the portion that you desire is in him. It's in Him. And so all the details of what a Sabbath may look like, you're going to probably spend the next few years or or decades trying to figure out how to rest well, how how to really have a a delightful and worshipful and and restful time with God. But the main portion, the, the, the meat of the day, is Him. It's Him. And so let's go to Him now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our one desire. You are the one who is necessary. You are the one who gives rest for our weary souls. And so, Lord, as we come to you now in the table, uh, we ask that you would restore us, you would refresh us, you would renew us. We come now with all of our exhaustion, whether it's from our own sin or from our own misery, whatever it may be, Lord, that we bring into the building today as we gather We lay it at your feet. We come heavy laden and find that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. So Lord, restore rest to us today. Do it for your glory and our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.